ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome aboard our vessel again, and anew, as our crew prepares to take off and take you with us on yet another exciting voyage beyond the matrix of this world. This is Raphael, and I'll be your captain and tour guide for the next hour, and in just a moment we'll be piercing past the lies of illusion that intends to gate our consciousness in away from the issues of climate engineering and other shady government cover-ups, and their worldwide web of lies and mind control that veils and binds these issues around the globalist conspiracies and agendas that steadily approaches and encroaches while the rest of humanity slumbers. But some, such as yourselves, are awake and rising. Passengers, prepare to rise above these veils of deception and hazy skies. Prepare for your ascent beyond the veil. Oh, and you might want to buckle up. It's gonna be a bumpy ride. Greetings, passengers. Great to have you back. We're aboard for the first time. Our last voyage was a little intense of a subject for the novice, and even for us old veterans. Beyond the Veil, Episode 6 did a mini expose on Disney's occult roots and use of subliminal messaging to communicate satanic and sexual messages to our children's subconscious. As a follow-up to the previous show, BTV Episode 5, where we exposed their use of predictive programming to sell us climate engineering. After showing a 1959 science factual Disney presentation on the last one, we followed pedophilia out of Disney into Hollywood and continued along the underbelly of the beast all the way to DC and the recent Podesta pedophile Pizzagate scandal, mainstream, a.k.a. lamestream media, has failed to report on. Because they say they refuse to participate in a witch hunt. Out of these horrible reports of Satanism and pedophilia being connected to the White House, alternative media has had to research for itself, is birthed the current desperate push by the elites to censor the news even more than they do. And Mark Zuckerberg has jumped right in and has decided he wants to screen our news so that he can tell us what we should be listening to, what is real, and what is fake news. It is in his and their honor that we shall dive deeply today into and past the veil of illusion that is spun out of the fibers of lamestream media to remember why the First Amendment is the cornerstone of our Constitution, and why resting on someone else's authority of what they think we should or shouldn't be listening to is not a good idea. Buckle up. James Elephantis, the owner of Comet Ping Pong and Pizza, is now doing interviews with the New York Times, calling for the censorship of quote-unquote fake news. He's calling for Facebook and Google to censor what he calls fake news. But it's not fake news. They are opinions and investigations by the public into James Elephantis for his own ties to people and his own posts on his Instagram, which is the public domain. James Elephantis posted this photo of a young girl with her hands taped to this table in the public domain, which is Instagram. He is in the public domain, the eye of the public, because of his association to lobbyist for Saudi Arabia, Tony Podesta, the brother of John Podesta, who was an advisor to President Obama, closely tied to the Clintons. So, because of his choice to associate with powerful people who lobby for Saudi Arabia, 
a country that kills children in Yemen with U.S. bombs provided by Secretary of State under the authority of Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, because of his ties to these people, he's now under public scrutiny, and the public has every right to investigate his ties. And the public has every right to theorize about his connections and to expose, if there is one, a pedophile ring with his pizza place. We don't know if that is true or not, but we have every right to investigate. And there are so many strange things that, you know, have to do with this person, his connections, the strange, you know, things he's posting in the public domain on his Instagram. It warrants an investigation. But now he's trying to call for the censorship of quote-unquote fake news. He wants quote-unquote fake news to be censored by Google, Facebook, and any other central authority that can be used to censor people trying to investigate this. When it's absolutely the right of people to investigate this info that is in the public domain. Facebook is promising changes to fight the spread of misinformation and fake news on the social network. Founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg is laying out a plan to keep phony news stories off Facebook feeds. Eureka Duncan spoke with a former Facebook worker who says the company should have seen this coming. Jerika, good morning. Good morning. Zuckerberg has been adamant about making sure all points of view have a place on Facebook, but he took time out from an international conference to address the growing debate over fake news. And some say questionable decisions Facebook made months ago might have made the problem worse. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg told global leaders in Peru he wants to connect the world. You can take any system in the world and make it much, much better than it is today. But even as he demonstrated virtual reality to Peru's president, he was forced to deal with a more troubling reality back at home. The seemingly unchecked proliferation of fake news on the site. A Facebook representative addressed the controversy Monday. The amount of news that is on our site that is, as you would call it, fake news is very small, but we're not satisfied with that. Zuckerberg outlined seven ways a social media giant hopes to curtail misinformation, stronger detection measures, easy reporting of fake stories by users, third-party verification by fact-checking organizations, and possibly adding warnings, flagging false stories by third parties or the Facebook community. But critics say Zuckerberg's proposed fixes are too little, too late. In your opinion... Should Mark Zuckerberg have seen this coming? Maybe not Mark Zuckerberg per se, but leaders within the company should have been paying more attention to what was, you know, showing up in people's news feeds for sure. Schroeder's job was to help make sure that inaccurate news didn't trend on Facebook, but he says his division was eliminated just weeks after criticism earlier this year that Facebook's information gatekeepers were suppressing conservative viewpoints. He says his division could have helped minimize the amount of fake news. By stopping fake news from trending, you're likely to stop fake news from spreading further. And I think that one of the biggest principles of, of journalism is making sure that people have truthful, accurate, and fair news. I asked Schroeder how much personal responsibility we as Facebook users should bear in making sure the news we share is accurate. He told me it's unrealistic for everyone to fact check all the news on their feeds. So he says it's up to the distributor, in this case, Facebook, to step in. I've seen a lot of fake news yeah. on Facebook, yep. not not just political stuff, other stuff about foods and what's in foods and that kind of stuff. Here's some people are not fact checking. They don't no. they don't know the difference. So it seems like Facebook is rethinking things over there. They absolutely have to. They've gotten so much attention and you see Mark Zuckerberg doing all yeah. the steps now. We need to do a story on who's creating this fake news, what the agenda is behind from. that, where it comes from. Drika, thank you so much. What Fox Television told us was that we were just the people to be the investigators. Do any stories you want, ask tough questions, and get answers. So we thought, this is great. This is a dream job. Fantastic. The very first thing they had us do was not to research stories, but to shoot this promo, which was the, the investigators. investigators. Uncovering the truth. Getting results. Protecting you. And 
they had a film crew and a smoke machine, and we were silhouetted. One of the first stories that Jane came up with was the uh, revelation that most of the milk in the state of Florida and throughout much of the country uh, was adulterated with the effects of bovine growth hormone, the artificial hormone that farmers were injecting into their cows so that they would produce more milk. With Monsanto, I didn't realize how effectively a corporation could work to get something on the marketplace. The levels of coordination they had to have. They had to get university professors into the fold. They had to get experts into the fold. They had to get reporters into the fold. They had to get the public into the fold. And of course the FDA, let's not leave them out. They had to get the federal regulators convinced that this was a fine and safe product um, to get it onto the marketplace. And they did that. They did that very, very well. It's a great time to be a high-producing cow. Pozilac One Step, bovine somatotropin by Monsanto. The federal government basically rubber-stamped it before they put it on the marketplace. The longest test they did for human toxicity was 90 days on 30 rats. Pozilac is the single most tested new product in history and is now available to you specifically so you can increase your profit potential. And then either Monsanto misreported the results to the FDA or the FDA didn't bother to look in depth at Monsanto's own studies. The scientists within Health Canada looked very carefully at bovine growth hormone and came to very different conclusions than the Food and Drug Administration in the U.S. did. Monsanto's engineered growth hormone did not comply with safety requirements. It could be absorbed by the body and therefore did have implications for human health. Mysteriously, that conclusion was deleted from the final published version of their report. They knew there were problems. They saw serious potential human health problems and they stood up in Canada and said, we're not going to approve this because we don't believe it's safe. We have been pressured and coerced to pass drugs of questionable safety, including the RBST. I personally was very concerned that there's a very serious problem of secrecy, conspiracy, and uh, things of that nature, uh, and something needs to be done. The FDA was then on the hot seat. They had to come up with an answer. They didn't come up with a good one. And they never took the opportunity then. I mean, what would they do? Pull it off the market and say, we need to now do the job that we didn't do the first time? They didn't do that. We wrote the story. We had it ready a week beforehand. They bought ads. Farmers in the milk industry say it's safe, but studies suggest a link to cancer. Don't miss this special report from the investigators. That Friday night before the Monday the series was to begin, the fax machine spit out a letter from this very high-priced lawyer in New York that Monsanto had hired. It contained a lot of things that were just off-the-wall false, just demonstrably false. But if you didn't know the story and you didn't know how we had gone about producing it, it uh, would have scared you as a broadcaster, as a manager. And they decided that they would pull the story and they would just check it one more time. But the bottom line was that there was no factual errors in that story. Uh, both sides had been heard from. Both sides had had an opportunity to speak. One week later, Monsanto sent the second letter. And this was even more strongly worded. And it said there will be dire consequences for Fox News if the story airs in Florida. And this time they freaked. They were afraid of being sued, and they were also afraid of losing advertising dollars at all of the stations owned by Rupert Murdoch. And he owned more television stations than any other group in America. And that's 22 television stations. That's a lot of advertising dollars for Roundup, Aspartame, Nutrisweet, and uh, other products. So we got into a battle. And uh, the first deal was uh, the new general manager. And his name's Dave. And Dave is a salesman. And, you know, he'd pump your hand. How you doing? How you doing? Called us upstairs to his office. And he said, um, what would you say if I killed this piece? What if it never ran? And we said, well... You know, we wouldn't be very happy about that. And he said, well, I could kill it, you know. And we said, yes, of course, you're the manager. You could kill it. It, it would never air. And uh, he's hemming and he's hawing and he's back and he's forth. And we couldn't figure out, what is this all about? And finally he blurted out, look, would you tell anybody? You know, I said, I'm not going to lie for you. About a week later, calls us back to the office and says, okay, we'd like you to make these changes. In fact, you will make these changes. We said, well, look, let us show you the research that we have that shows that this information you want us to broadcast isn't true. To which he replies, I don't care about that. I said, pardon me? And he said, uh, that's what I have lawyers for. Just write it the way the lawyers want it written. 
I said, you know, this is news. This is important. This is stuff people need to know. And I'll never forget, he didn't pause a beat, and he said, we just paid $3 billion for these television stations. We'll tell you what the news is. The news is what we say it is. I said, I'm not doing that. And he said, well, he said, if you refuse to present this story the way we think it should be presented, you'll be fired for insubordination. I said, I will go to the Federal Communications Commission and I will report that I was fired from my job by you, the licensee of these public airwaves, because I refused to lie to people on the air. And uh, it's thank you very much. Uh, you'll hear from us right away. Well, 24 hours came and went, and we didn't hear a thing. And about a week later, he calls us back, and now we've changed strategies. How about if we pay you some money and you just go away? And I said, how much money? Because, you know, when somebody offers to bribe you like that, I always want to know if it might be worth it. He was going to offer us the rest of our year's salary if we agreed not to talk about what Monsanto had done, to not talk about the Fox corporate response in suppressing the story, and to not talk about the story. Not talk about BGH, again, anywhere. Not take the story to another news organization. Zip up. I said, you mean if I want to go to my daughter's PTA meetings and explain what's in the school milk at the school lunch program? I, I can't, no. You can never speak about this anywhere. And Steve says, okay, write it up. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Write it up. And uh, I didn't say anything. And uh, Dave, he wrote it up. And he FedExed it to us a couple days later. And he said, are you going to sign? And we said, nah, Dave, we're not going to sign that. And he said, we'll send it back, okay? I said, no, Dave, we're not going to send that back. It was, okay. We can't buy you out. We can't shut you up. Let's get the story on the air in a way that we can all agree it will go on the air. And we started rewriting and editing with their lawyers. Well, during this eight-month re-review process, I say, jokingly, uh, they did things like, for example, they wanted to take out the word cancer. You don't have to identify what the potential problem is. But just say human health implications. Any criticism of Monsanto or its product, they either removed it or minimized it. And it was very, very clear, I would say, almost every edit they made to the piece, that was the aim. And we changed this and this and this, and then that wasn't good enough. Okay, now change this and this and this. Now change this and this. Version after version after version, 83 times. 83 times is unheard of. It doesn't happen. You shouldn't have to rewrite something 83 times. Obviously, they didn't want to put the thing on the air, and they were trying to drive us crazy and get us to quit or wait until the first window in our contract so that they could fire us. They, in effect, announced that they were going to fire us uh, for no cause. Well, this was a little much. And Steve wrote a letter to the lawyer in Atlanta, whose name is Carolyn Forrest, the Fox corporate lawyer. And I said, you know, this isn't about being fired for no cause. You're firing us because we refused to put on the air something that we knew and demonstrated to be false and misleading. That's what this is about. And because we put up a fight, because we stood up to this big corporation, and we stood up to your editors, and we stood up to your lawyers, and we said to you, look, there ought to be a principle higher than just making money. And she wrote a letter back and said, you are right. That's exactly what it was. You stood up to us on this story, and that's why we're letting you go. Jane sued Fox under Florida's whistleblower statute, which protects those who try to prevent others from breaking the law. But her appeal court judges found that falsifying news isn't actually against the law. Florida's appellate court has ruled in favor of Fox 13. You may recall that Jane Acri, a former reporter here, sued Fox 13 in a whistleblower lawsuit, claiming she was fired for refusing to distort her report. The appeals court today threw that case out, saying Ms. Acri had no whistleblower claim against the station based on news distortion. Fox 13 Vice President and General Manager Bob Linger says the station has been completely vindicated by the ruling. It was almost exactly two hours ago when the sirens went off here in Saudi Arabia. Where we are in eastern Saudi Arabia, there was no problem. However, there was an intercept elsewhere near the capital city, Riyadh. We've got some videotape of that you can take a look at right now. Hi, Atlanta. We're about to have a short course in missile identification. This is a Scud. 
you can tell it by its distinctive label. Now, when the missile is launched, the first thing you look for is the plume sticking out behind it. Now, when you detect this, you can tell it's been launched. Thank you. Yeah, show me graffiti. <laughs> Larry King show or bust. Look at this. Look at look. Look at this. Look at this shit. Look at the top ten things about Saudi Arabia. Maybe we could shorten the list to five. <laughs> oh God. Geopolitics by Dan Quayle. <laughs> <laughs> Je suis un journaliste américain. <laughs> Wolf. 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 <laughs> oh, I love this country so much. Well, Cheryl, it was almost exactly two hours ago when the sirens went off here in Saudi Arabia. Where we are in eastern Saudi Arabia, there was no problem. Let me just size my mask and fit it for a second, just like I always do. Stand by, please. All clear. What are they saying? Are they saying all clear? Were they saying all clear down there just now? All clear. All clear. At Dabian was a false alarm. Got that, Atlanta? Standing down now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get my hamburger and my coffee. Good. Uh, we just got the all clear. Now. All clear. Every time I order something, this happens. All clear. Thank you. Yeah. I'm starting to get real bothered by all this. Boy, did I almost look stupid. <laughs> Charles Jaco, CNN, reporting live from Saudi Arabia. No, wait a minute. Whoa, hold it, homeboy. I'm the talent here, you dig? <gasps> Hotel Richard Thicker. It's not the uh, national... ...by afternoon. So people are looking up in the skies, scanning the skies to see what they can see. Do we see much of anything out there? Can, can we see much of anything? Okay, well, apparently there was, there was, yeah, there was some word of, uh, of uh, outgoing. Again, there, we cannot be specific about the direction. All right, we are now led to understand that there are also firings in another city in Saudi Arabia. Uh, CNN's Carl Rochelle is, is here with me. He just came up. Uh, Carl, I know we can't be very specific given these restrictions, but uh, within those parameters, what did you see? Well, what I saw, I, I didn't see anything hit. I looked very, almost straight above us. There is a vapor trail coming from my right to my left, and there's a cloud of uh, something. It looks like it might have been an explosion, a cloud. Uh, a white say. You may smell some of the fumes from uh, a, uh, a missile exhaust going off. Uh, missiles use a rocket accordite, some sort of burning. Uh, we just heard a little thump just then. But uh, I have to apologize for that. I, I thought a whiff of something and felt momentarily uh, dizzy. You're more experienced <laughs> military affairs than I am, but it might have been a little um, gas from the uh, from the rocket exhaust. There well, apparently wasn't anything. A lot of people have the respirators on just in case. And, and uh, again, you. Uh, you run to get down here, you, uh, in my case, uh, jumped out of bed uh, hearing the air raid warning go on. You run down three flights of stairs to get out of here. It's probably a hundred yards. You hyperventilate a little bit and you're nervous. Uh, one, thing, one thing we have to point out just so people won't think people are panicking. Most people are in their shelters. They've taken cover in their shelters. And in the time we've been in Saudi Arabia, I've not seen any evidence of panic in the streets or people running around. People are not exactly taking this as a matter of course. But there's been no wholesale panic or anything. People are, are taking orderly precautions to deal with uh, the stuff that's going on right now. 
Okay, uh, again, uh, everything seems to be quiet. What I saw, uh, when I walked down, when I came running down, someone had said there is, there is a hit upstairs over our heads, right straight up, up, up above us. And I looked up, and you could see the vapor trail, the contrail that's made by an aircraft or a rocket at high altitude, and there was a round puff of smoke uh, that indicated something happened at that point. Uh, a lot of smoke. It could be a hit from one of the Patriots taking down a, a Scud missile inbound, or taking down an aircraft, for that matter. But right now, where we are, we have absolutely seen nothing happen. A little boom one time, a small boom, could have been the sound traveling from high on. That's not actually confirming that anything happened. We don't know that there is a hit or anything. We're just telling you what we think and what we see at this point. The air raid sirens are running. The air raid is going on. Could very well be something has happened, but uh, we're all safe right here. The reason I'm wearing a helmet is because it's easier and safer to put it on your head than it is to carry it around in your hand. If you're just trying to be prudent, uh, CD is, uh, is carrying his gas mask with him. I have mine strapped on at my side. Uh, you'll get some indication that there is gas, and one of the indications that there has been gas has been an explosion pretty close to you. There has to be a way to deliver it. As far as we know, uh, they, uh, they have not yet delivered any in a uh, in a rocket vehicle, in a Scud-type vehicle down in this area or anywhere else. Uh, could happen, but there should be plenty of warning on that. Yeah, Carl, and again, I have to uh, apologize for the audience for yelling gas and putting the gas mask on, but what happened is Carl explained is sometimes when the propellant goes off, I believe that's what it would be, you get this whiff of something. I felt momentarily choked up and dizzy and thought, well, better safe than sorry. And it turned out that was not the case. But again, that could have just been the propellant from the outgoing missile. We have seen streaks outgoing. We heard the a bang, but as Carl said, there's no hard evidence that anything was hit. We know what we saw, but we can't speculate about what was in it or what it was. And so far, uh, there's been no evidence that uh, the Iraqis have been able to use chemical warheads in, in any of these studs. Gentlemen, yes, yes. Excuse me for breaking in, uh, Charles Jaco, Carl Rochelle. A child's happiness is priceless, especially on a birthday. A child's happiness is priceless, especially on a birthday. A child's happiness is priceless, especially on a birthday. A child's happiness is priceless, especially on a birthday. Well, a child's happiness is priceless, right? Especially on a birthday. A child's happiness is priceless, especially on a birthday. A child's happiness is priceless, especially on a birthday. A child's happiness is priceless, especially on their birthday. A child's happiness is priceless, especially on a birthday. A a child's happiness is priceless, especially when it comes to their birthday. Absolutely. A child's happiness is a child's happiness is well, a child's happiness is a child's smile is priceless. A child's happiness is you know a child's happiness is a child's happiness is a child's happiness is priceless, especially on a birthday. A child's happiness is priceless, especially on a birthday. A child's happiness is priceless. So without a doubt, you can see that they are all. Even different networks are all on board with the same pushing of an agenda. There's your proof. There's no question about it. They are the enemy, and they are not there to inform you. The Easter Bunny step this year. Economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny step this year. Economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny step this year. Economic factors may. Economic factors may take. Economic factors may take some. Economic factors may. Mike Meyer says, yeah, baby. 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 Baby. Mike Meyer says. Yeah, Ken. President, earlier this year you told us you had ordered your administration to cease and desist on payments to journalists. Uh, to promote your agenda, you cited the need for uh, ethical concerns and the need for a bright line between the press and the government. Your administration continues to make the use of video news releases, which are prepackaged news stories sent to television stations, fully aware that some or many of these stations will air them without any disclaimer that they are produced by the government. Comptroller General of the United States this week said that raises ethical questions. Does it raise ethical questions about the use of government money to produce stories about the government that wind up being aired with no disclosure that they were produced by the government? Uh, there, there is a Justice Department opinion that says these, um, these pieces are within the law so long as they're based upon facts, not advocacy. And I expect our agencies to adhere to that ruling, to that Justice Department opinion. It's been a long-standing practice of the federal government to 
use uh, these uh, types of videos. Agricultural Department, as I understand, has been using these videos for a long period of time. The Defense Department, other departments have been doing so. It's important that, the, that they be based on the guidelines set out by the Justice Department. Now, I also I think it'd be helpful if local stations then disclose to their viewers if that's you know that this was based upon a factual report and they chose to use it. But evidently, in some cases, that's not the case. So anyway, you guarantee that's happening by including that language in the prepackaged report. Yeah, I don't you know. Look, oh, you mean a disclosure? I'm George W. Bush, and I. Well, some way to make sure it couldn't air without the disclosure that you believe is so vital. Uh, you know, Ken, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a procedure that we're going to follow, and the local stations ought to, if there's a deep concern about that, ought to tell their viewers what they're watching. All over the world, we know, it's well established, uh, the State Department and intelligence agencies engage in theater, and it's what they do, it's spycraft, to create... Um, spectacles and events that people may not realize are spectacles and events, but that, well, like the, um, the overthrow of Mossadegh in the 50s in Iran. Uh, it, they, they'll funnel money to protesters, they'll, you know, fly people in to infiltrate protesters, they'll create fake newspapers, and so on. So we know that this happens in countries around the world. I believe that a law has been passed in the United States, I think it's part of the Defense Authorization Act, I need to confirm this, that, pardon me, now makes it legal to propagandize American citizens. Is that, do we know about that? Yeah, it's true. And is it in the NDAA or is it in something else, do we know? It's a separate bill. It's a separate bill, and it's been passed, it's now law? Do we know what the, two years ago. Do we know what the name of it is? I don't remember, but I reported on it. Oh, thank you, will you send me the link? Yeah. Thank you. So what this means is, and I, you know, as a journalist to say these words, just I can't tell you with what a heavy heart I say them, but we've entered an era in which it is not crazy to assess news events to see if they're real or not real. And in the United States as well as overseas. And in fact, it's kind of crazy not to. Now, you know, there's so much uh, hype about what I just said, and, and so I want to be very clear about it so it can't be taken out of context. <clears throat> you know, there's, <clears throat> pardon me, this kind of reflexive vilification of anyone speculating about that because they become a conspiracy theorist, right? Well, just bear with me. You know, I've often thought about this because our intelligence agencies, and for, I respect spies. I mean, you know, who are doing, like before it got out of control, I believe we need intelligence. I believe we need intelligence agencies. I don't think there's anything dishonorable about being in the intelligence services if you obey the Constitution and the law. Um, but all over the world, our intelligence services are engaged in conspiring to create outcomes. That's their job. That's how they're successful. So <clears throat> now that it's illegal to propagandize in the United States, uh, it doesn't surprise me that there's more and more um, products coming up in popular culture, more and more events in the news stream that seem to be, to my eye, to be subsidized. Uh, let me give you some examples of that. I'm not talking about Boston right now. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. We also talked earlier about infiltrators, right? and how they provoke violence. This is well established. So if we know that infiltrators by the police, NYPD, they've been documented, or other police forces, dress up like people they're not and provoke violence, why is it unthinkable that there might be spectacles that might drive an outcome in the news stream? Let me give you a couple of quick examples. And all I'm saying is we unfortunately, and I have to say this to my fellow journalists as well, we've entered a time in which we need to be very skeptical about the news stream and look at it critically and ask for more verification and more inquiry. And that's just being good reporters. And it makes it like this, there's spectacle fed into the news media in China. There's spectacle fed into, like Chile. How did Pinochet 
you know, engaged in his coup. He created uh, photographs of a cache of weapons that the terrorists had, you know, hidden. Was it real? Was it not? Most historians think it wasn't. I mean, this is like not unusual, you know, in the process of creating a closed society. So if laws have made it legal to assassinate American citizens and legal to propagandize them, why should it be crazy or weird to think that that might be for a reason, right? All right, I saw the movie uh, Zero Dark Thirty, thank you very much. And I have worked on two presidential campaigns, so I recognize political talking points. And I wrote a piece saying, this reads like the Pentagon signed off on the script. Because there were like chunks of political talking points identifiable to anyone who's worked in Washington. Right? And you don't come up with those if you're a writer writing a screenplay. Um, and everyone was very upset. It was very controversial and scandalous. But in fact, belatedly, a news story came out saying that in fact the Pentagon had, I think, subsidized some of it, but had certainly consulted directly on the script. And I see more and more TV shows about the CIA and more and more TV shows about spies and gigantic blockbusters in which surveillance is normalized and gigantic blockbusters in which people are tortured to get them to talk in a way that might exonerate people who actually tortured people to get them to talk in Guantanamo. And there's all this money being pumped into these unaccountable, you know, terrorism fighting things. And now there's no law preventing that money from going through front organizations right into popular culture. So that's of interest to me. And so another thing I want to say, and there's so many people waiting to ask a question, but I just need to say this, is I'm skeptical of certain news events that seem more theatrical than the norm. Or I want to ask questions about them. Because I was in CNN once recently, and they were reporting a story about a water skier who had been decapitated on a lake between Mexico and the United States. And it had something to do with ter you know, a terrorism threat, right? And I was like, decapitated water skier. Sometimes you hear these things, and it's like so <laughs> novelistic. You're like, real life doesn't work that way. Like, these are so novelistic. Someone's coming up with it to make it stick in the popular imagination. Or it just makes you think, well, I'd like to document that. I'm a reporter. What's the source? And, I, and it kept being just this one guy, Judge Arpajo in Texas. I may be mispronouncing his name. He's a very, cons uh, yes. Our, yeah, he was the source, he was the source, he was the source. And I have this wonderful Facebook community all over the world. And I went on Facebook and I'm like, Mexican Facebook community, is there any reporting about a beheaded water skier in this lake, in this place in Mexico? And they're like, no, there's, what are you talking about? There's nothing like that. There's doesn't exist. So I turned to the CNN producer and said, do you have a second source for this story? And it was all over the news, all over the news, all over the news. And they're like, uh, and they checked and it's like, nope just this guy, judge, whatever. And I'm like, well, can you find a second source? And they were blushing and embarrassed, and they looked and they confessed that they didn't have a second source, which if you know what journalism is, you're <laughs> supposed to doc, you know, confirm it with two sources. So ever since that experience, CNN is running with this. No one's verifying it. Journalists aren't in a position to follow up on anything anymore because budgets are slashed and there's no investigative reporting. Um, all this nonsense can enter the media stream for purposes that have to do with advancing agendas, because no one's checking. That's all I want to say about that. Well, I, I've been a journalist for about 25 years, and I was educated to lie, to betray, and uh, not to tell the truth to the public. We live in a banana republic and not in a democratic country where we have press freedom, where we have human rights. Uh, Yes, uh, there, there is many examples for that. We, if we go just back to history, if you go into the year 1988, if you go to your archives, you will find in March 1988 that there was uh, um, uh, in, in Iraq, in, uh, um, in Iraq, the Kurdish people have been, have been gassed with poisoned gas. That is known all over the world. But in July 1988, they sent me to a town called Zubaydat, that is uh, on, on the Iraqi-Iranian border. There was war, it was war between the Iranians and the Iraqis, and I was sent 
there to photograph how the Iranians have been gassed with poisoned gas, with German poisoned gas. You call it lost and zarin, mustard gas, made by Germany. They have been gassed. And I was there to make photographs how these people um, have been killed by poisoned gas from Germany. When I came back to Germany, there was just one small photo in a newspaper, in the Frankfurter Allgemeine, and there was one small article not writing how impressive, brutally, how unhuman, how ter terrible it was to kill uh, half, uh, to kill decades after the end of the Second World War, people with German poisoned gas. So this was a situation I, I feel misused uh, for, for, for having been there and just to give a documentary what has d been done, but not being allowed to cry out uh, to the world what we have done uh, behind closed doors. Well, uh, German, yeah, yes, I understand your question very well. Germany is still a kind of a colony of the United States. Uh, you see that in many points, like the majority of the Germans don't want to have nukes uh, in our country, but we still have American nukes. So we are still a kind of a colony of the Americans. And being a colony, it is very easy to approach uh, young journalists uh, through uh, what is very important here is transatlantic organizations. All journalists from really respected and recommended big German newspapers, magazines, radio stations, TV stations, they are all members uh, or guests of those big transatlantic organizations. And there, in, in these transatlantic organizations, you are approached to be pro-American, and there, there is nobody coming to you and saying, well, we are the Central Intelligence Agency, would you like to work for us? No, this is not the case how it happens. What they do, these transatlantic organizations, is uh, they invite you. They invite you for seeing the United States. Uh, they pay for that. They pay all your expenses and everything. So uh, you, you are bribed. You get more and more corrupt because uh, they, they make you good contacts. You won't know that those good contacts are, let's say, non-official non-official uh, covers or officially people working for Central Intelligence Agency or other American agencies. So you make friends. You think they are friends and you cooperate with them. They, tr they ask you, well, could you do me this favor? Could you do me that favor? And uh, so your brain more and more is brainwashed through these guys. And uh, your question was, is this only the case with German journalists? No, I think it is uh, especially the case with British journalists, because they have a much closer relationship. It is especially the case uh, with Israelis, of course, with French journalists for a part, not that big as with German or with uh, uh, British journalists. Uh, it is the case for Australian journalists, for, for journalists from New Zealand, from Taiwan, from, well, there is, there is many countries, countries in the Arab world, like Jordan, for example, uh, like Oman, the Sultanate of Oman. There is many countries where this happens, where you, where, where you find people to, um, to claim they are respected journalists, but if you look behind them, you'll find uh, they are puppets on a string of the Central Intelligence Agency. Well, <laughs> well... I have had, uh, let me say, one, two, six times my house was house searched because I was accused by the public prosecutor, the German public prosecutor. I was accused of leaking state, sec leaking secrets of states. Six times house searched. Uh, well, they, they they hoped that I wouldn't do that ever again, but. Uh, I, I think it's, it's worse that uh, the truth will come out one day. The truth won't die. And uh, I don't mind what will happen. I've had three heart attacks. I have no children. So if they want to bring me to court or to prison, so it's worse for the truth.
Hillary Clinton blamed the victim. Number 101 when you're dealing with rape cases, don't blame the victim. She blamed a 12-year-old girl, a 6th grade 12-year-old girl, of seeking the attention of older men and fantasizing about being with older men. There is audio. Wait, we, we haven't corroborated any of this, so I mean, I, I just think you should be very... It's I mean, widely reported. It's well, widely wi reported. Widely reported. So is the National Enquirer widely reported. We, we, we can go. Mean anything. Not, can... It's not on this network, I would point out. Hillary Clinton had accused her of uh, some sort of uh, uh, culpability in her own attack. Widely reported. We, widely we, reported. We can go. Mean anything. Not, can... It's not on this network, I would point out. Wait, we, we, we haven't corroborated any of this. Clinton wrote of the victim, I have been informed that the complainant is emotionally unstable with a tendency to seek out older men and engage in fantasizing. Wait, we, we haven't corroborated any of this. It's not on this network, I would point out. Mrs. Clinton seems to admit she knew the defendant was guilty. Wait, we, we haven't corroborated any of this. It's not on this network, I would point out. She took a lot of different tests. I have this tolerance. It's not on this network, I would point out. Four decades ago, before she was a possible presidential candidate, before she was even Hillary Clinton, Hillary Rodham was a 27-year-old trier lawyer in Arkansas with a southern drawl and big ambitions. It's not on this network, I would point out. She was asked by a judge to defend a 42-year-old man accused of raping a 12-year-old girl. It's not on this network, I would point out. Now, Clinton was able to plea bargain down the sentence to just one year in prison, which was then reduced to time served. But the victim, who is now 52 years old, is speaking out to the Daily Beast and saying that one of the most famous women in the world put her through hell. It's not on this network, I would point out. She also has a message now for the former Secretary of State. It's not on this network, I would point out. Wait, we, we haven't corroborated any of this. You lied on me. I just realized the truth of it hard back in 06 after I got out of prison. I just studied a little bit. I realized the truth now, hard of what you done to me. I said, Is that, man, you're supposed to be it for women? Do you call that for women? <laughs> What you done to me? And I hear you on tape laughing. It's not on this network, I would point out. Wait, we, we haven't corroborated any of this. But the victim says her life was ruined as well. When I heard that tape, I was pretty upset. I went back to the room was talking to my two cousins. And I cried a little bit. I ain't gonna lie. Some of this has got me pretty down. But I thought to myself, I'm gonna stand up to her. I'm gonna stand up to what I gotta stand up for, you know? Alexa O'Brien. Hi, Alexa. How is everybody? Thank you for coming today. All right. I just prepared a short statement. When the U.S. government said in federal court that they wouldn't guarantee I wouldn't be indefinitely detained under Section 1021B2 for articles I had written on the war on terror, what was at stake was more than our national politics of charismatic luckiness, ambiguous scapegoats, and self-centered objectivity. Only fools argue that laws concerning the life and liberty of human beings should read in the poetry of fortune cookies and be backed up with the legal precedent of Yale's speeches. Section 1021b2 was passed with bipartisan support, bought and paid for by lobbyists in one of this nation's most mistrusted congresses and signed into law by Ad Age Marketer of the Year with a signing statement as arbitrary and deceptive as the Justice Department's about-face appeal and arguments in this very case. Let's dispense with the myth that the ubiquitous application of extrajudicial power is the exception to an unchecked executive. And let's dispense with the myth that Congress has the constitutional power to legislate the military detention of civilians. Let's also dispense with the myth that the U.S. government hasn't already detained journalists under the AUMF seeking to gain intelligence on media organizations, or the myth that the president hasn't played a personal role in the imprisonment of a journalist covering the U.S. war on terror in Yemen. Because of my work as a journalist, government contractors attempted to falsely link a group, which I helped found, whose only purpose is to support campaign finance reform in the United States to Al-Qaeda. They even published articles of their own, showcasing their ability to make Americans pay a hundred times more for the insecurity we could have had for free, stating the group that I helped found was infiltrated with Al-Qaeda and so-called cyber terrorists. 
emails published by WikiLeaks indicated that other security contractors with ties to the U.S. government were specifically asked to connect this group to any Saudi or other fundamentalist Islamic organization. DHS published their unintelligence, declaring an error that the group that I helped found was linked to cyber terrorists. I am grateful to the individuals, including a fellow journalist who privately warned me that there were other unpublished government documents and that agents had their sight on me. I am grateful to the attorneys, Carl Mayer and Bruce Afrin, to the other plaintiffs, to Tangerine Bolin and to Chris Hedges for their generosity of spirit towards me and their good work. Section 1021 violates the First and Fifth Amendments of the U.S. Constitution our greatest protection against threats to our liberty and national security. This legislative spawn of our national ideology, the war on terror, also preys on the spirits of people because it offers us the illusion of an identity, of dignity, of morality, making it easier for this nation and our people to part with them all. What CNN is doing is they're essentially creating what uh, some people have termed infomercials for dictators. And that's the sponsored content that they're airing on CNN International that's actually being paid for by regimes and governments. I mean, this violates every principle of journalistic ethics because we're supposed to be watchdogs uh, uh, on these governments. We're not supposed to allow them to be paying customers uh, as journalists. So. Consider this fictitious example that's inspired by real life. Say you're watching the news and you see a story about a new study on the cholesterol-lowering drug called Colextra. The study says Colextra is so effective that doctors should consider prescribing it to adults and even children who don't yet have high cholesterol. Is it too good to be true? You're smart. You decide to do some of your own research. You do a Google search. You consult social media, Facebook and Twitter. You look at Wikipedia, WebMD, a nonprofit website, and you read the original study in a peer-reviewed published medical journal. It all confirms how effective Colextra is. You do run across a few negative comments and a potential link to cancer, but you dismiss that because medical experts call the cancer link a myth and say that those who think there is a, a link there are quacks and cranks and nuts. Finally, you, you learned that your own doctor recently attended a medical seminar. The lecture that he attended confirmed how effective Colextra is, so he sends you off with some free samples and a prescription. You've really done your homework. But what if all isn't as it seems? What if the reality you found was false? A carefully constructed narrative by unseen special interests designed to manipulate your opinion. A Truman Show-esque alternate reality all around you. Complacency in the news media combined with incredibly powerful propaganda and publicity forces mean we sometimes get little of the truth. Special interests have unlimited time and money to figure out new ways to spin us while cloaking their role. Surreptitious astroturf methods are now more important to these interests than traditional lobbying of Congress. There's an entire industry built around it in Washington. What is astroturf? It's a perversion of grassroots as in fake grassroots. AstroTurf is when political, corporate, or other special interests disguise themselves and publish blogs, start Facebook and Twitter accounts, publish ads, letters to the editor, or simply post comments online to try to fool you into thinking an independent or grassroots movement is speaking. The whole point of AstroTurf is to try to give the impression there's widespread support for or against an agenda when there's not. AstroTurf seeks to manipulate you into changing your opinion by making you feel as if you're an outlier when you're not. One example is the Washington Redskins name. Without taking a position on the controversy, if you simply were looking at news media coverage over the course of the past year or looking at social media, you'd probably have to conclude that most Americans find that name offensive and think it ought to be changed. But what if I told you 71% of Americans say the name should not be changed? That's more than two-thirds. AstroTurfers seek to controversialize those who disagree with them. They attack news organizations that publish stories they don't like, whistleblowers who tell the truth, politicians who dare to ask the tough questions, 
and journalists who have the audacity to report on all of it. Sometimes astroturfers simply shove intentionally so much confusing and conflicting information into the mix that you're left to throw up your hands and disregard all of it, including the truth. Drown out a link between a medicine and a harmful side effect, say vaccines and autism, by throwing a bunch of conflicting paid-for studies, surveys, and experts into the mix, confusing the truth beyond recognition. Let's now go back to that fictitious Colextra example and all the research you did. It turns out the Facebook and Twitter accounts you found that were so positive were actually written by paid professionals hired by the drug company to promote the drug. The Wikipedia page had been monitored by an agenda editor also paid by the drug company. The drug company also arranged to optimize Google search engine results, so it was no accident that you stumbled across that positive nonprofit that had all those positive comments. The nonprofit was, of course, secretly founded and funded by the drug company. The drug company also financed that positive study and used its power of editorial control to omit any mention of, of cancer as a possible side effect. Once more, each and every doctor who publicly touted Colextra or called the cancer link a myth or ridiculed critics as paranoid cranks and quacks or served on the government advisory board that approved the drug, each of those doctors is actually a paid consultant for the drug company. As for your own doctor, the medical lecture he attended that had all those positive evaluations was, in fact, like many continuing medical education classes, sponsored by the drug company. And when the news reported on that positive study, it didn't mention any of that. So now you may be thinking, what can I do? I thought I'd done my research. What chance do I have separating fact from fiction, especially if seasoned journalists with years of experience can be so easily fooled? Well, I have a few strategies that I can tell you about to help you recognize signs of propaganda and astroturf. Once you start to know what to look for, you'll begin to recognize it everywhere. First, hallmarks of astroturf include use of inflammatory language such as crank, quack, nutty, lies, paranoid, pseudo, and conspiracy. Astroturfers often claim to debunk myths that aren't myths at all. Use of the charged language tests well. People hear something's a myth, maybe they find it on Snopes, and they instantly declare themselves too smart to fall for it. But what if the whole notion of the myth is itself a myth and you and Snopes fell for that? <laughs> Beware when interests attack an issue by controversializing or attacking the people, personalities, and organizations surrounding it rather than addressing the facts. That could be AstroTurf. And most of all, AstroTurfers tend to reserve all of their public skepticism for those exposing wrongdoing rather than the wrongdoers. In other words, instead of questioning authority, they question those who question authority. You might start to see things a little more clearly. It's kind of like taking off your glasses and wiping them and putting them back on and realizing for the first time how foggy they'd been all along. I can't resolve these issues, but I hope that I've given you some information that will at least motivate you to take off your glasses and wipe them and become a wiser consumer of information in an increasingly artificial, paid-for reality. Uh, my name is Candida Rodriguez Kingbird. I am Red Lake Anishinaabe Ojibwe. Um, I'm here today is a recording from Standing Rock, North Dakota. Today is November 14, 2016. Uh, new developments. We have had aircraft flying over our camp for several days, uh, different kinds of small charter planes and what looks uh, appears to be helicopters, I mean, coming through at night. Um, they mostly come at night and they have their lights off, which is dangerous to other aircraft. They're using the space illegally. They don't have any permits or permission to be using the airspace above federal tribal land, so they're breaking the law to begin with. Last night, the new development was that there was an aircraft flying over camp, our encampment, from approximately 1.40 a.m. till about 2.20 a.m. this morning. Every uh, two minutes on the dot, they were in, uh, encircling the circumference of our camp and doing uh, what we believe to be spraying chemical agents down on top of us. This is an act of um, 
chemical warfare. This is an act of terrorism in the United States by the United States government against the indigenous peoples of Standing Rock and of this encampment. They are not reaching out to the sides where the police department has set up their uh, barriers and their blockades. So we know that they are um, strategically placing these chemicals on top of us. Um, this morning at 5.30, we came out because we heard the same aircraft passing overhead. It was actually, it was uh, verified to be a, a crop duster. And on the underbelly side of it, under each wing, there were two hoses, which they used to spray down agriculture and um, poisons on top of um, different harvests that they're growing and stuff like that. So um, this is an act of terrorism. We're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. We're going to keep fighting for the people. We're going to keep fighting for the rights. This, this, these resources belong to our children. This water belongs to our children. This is our future. These kids need this land. They need this water. They need this, this, these resources, and they need us to stand and fight and protect them. Don't put this on Facebook. Uh, they'll take it back off again. And um, but uh, do share this with family. Talk to your family about this. Talk to your friends about this. Spread the news out there. Let them know this is an act of genocide from the U.S. government. This isn't. This is a terroristic attack. Um, power to the people, man. We're not going to stop. Stay up. Rising above, taking just a minute, I imagine stepping into a hot air balloon. The balloon slowly lifting up into the blue sky. Looking down, I see the picture of my life. Any problems seen? so small. I take this moment to enjoy silence, peace, and to rest my mind. As the balloon gently descends, I return to my day with a quiet and peaceful mind.